Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abundant blessings, and we are grateful for the opportunity of being together and to learn. And Lord, as we do so, we ask for you to be our teacher. Uh, We are insufficient. Uh, Our vision is so limited, and uh, Lord, we need you, and we need your eyesight. And so now... Uh, I ask for your presence to be with us, your Holy Spirit to be here and to speak, and for you to be, again, our teacher today. And may we be good pupils, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, um, I began my career in uh, learning how to and dealing with symptoms. Uh, we We were learning a lot about symptom care. Um, and uh, how to deal with that, and, you know, trying to figure out how to help individuals and to fix them. Uh, But it was later on in my career that I began to um, question, uh, really, the basis of health and healing, and to really start asking the questions of what might be the cause. Because, really, we want to treat the cause and not just the symptoms. Now, symptom care is good. If I have pain, thank you very much, help me with the pain. And if I have itching and so on, then thank you very much and help me with the itching. But we really want to get down to the, the core of it. We want to get to the cause. And if you're going to treat the cause, then we have to uh, at least have an idea of what the cause is, right? So do you know what the cause of disease is? Okay, all right, so we've got a few ideas. What about the cause of cancer, the cause of diabetes, or the cause of coronary artery disease, some of the major uh, conditions that our world is struggling with at this time? Okay, man's misuse of the body. All right, hereditary issues. All right. Disobedience. All right, so all of these are various different things, and I don't disagree with your answers. My question is, can you successfully treat and remove the cause if you don't know what it is? By accident, perhaps, right? You can stumble across it and uh, and perhaps fix it, but if you don't know what you're aiming for, then likely you're not going to hit it, except by chance. And we want to be a little bit better than chance when it comes to that. And so I want to run into an analogy that can help us to start understanding causes. And it's an analogy of a tree. Now, God, Jesus loved using analogies and using stories and so on. And I think uh, Matthew, he was one that uh, particularly enjoyed I think plants, because a lot of Jesus' plant-slash-tree analogies uh, are mentioned to us in Matthew. And uh, we can understand ourselves and how we function by understanding other parts of God's creation and how it functions. And so when you have a tree, let's say that it's around this season and it's time for fruit-bearing, and you have a tree that you walk up to, what are the first things that you notice about the tree? Okay, so you're going to pay attention to the leaves, 
right? Are they needles? Are they uh, kind of spindle-shaped? Are they wide? Do they have different patterns to them that gives you an idea of what the tree is? What else are you going to notice? All right, so if it's got fruit on it, you're going to pay attention to the fruit because you might guess what the thing is, but um, you might be wrong based upon the leaves or the shape of the tree. But once you look at the fruit, you usually have an idea of what the thing is. Um, and then, of course, the general shape of the tree and so on. These are things that we pay attention to. And um, so the very obvious things, when it comes to health, the obvious things for us are the symptoms, right? It's obvious when we have pain. It's obvious when we have coughing. It's obvious when we're itching. It's obvious when we have these various different symptoms. And, and, and those fruit and those leaves that are the obvious things we see when we walk up to a tree are the obvious things that, uh, that represent then now the symptoms of the individual. Now, let's say that uh, you go to your um, you have pain, let's say, and you go to the physician and you, you tell the physician that you have pain. You got pain in your back up here and uh, it's just not going away and it's been there for, you know, a day or two. And, and so the physician only has eight to ten minutes uh, typically and so they ask you a few questions about uh, the situation and what's left is a prescription and so you end up getting a prescription. You go home, you fill that and you start taking it. Your pain's better. Uh, but it's really not gone away, and so the next day you end up going to the next physician and the same story again, and the third day, by the time you've got three medications, your pain's pretty much taken care of. Life is good. Did you fix the cause? No, you didn't fix the cause because you go to the fourth physician, and the fourth physician decides to actually do an exam and finds out that, well, the cause of your back pain is because you have a knife in your back. Right? So it, it would be helpful to understand what the cause is because if you understand the cause, then you can treat the cause. If you don't see or understand what the cause is, well, you can deal with symptoms, but you don't necessarily take away the problem that's there. And so uh, we need to understand that and we need to go there. Now, am I saying that it's bad to have pain medication? No, thank you very much. If I broke my arm or I got in a car accident or other things like that, thank you very much. Help me out a little, right? But it, it's not for us to necessarily stay on for long term. Uh, the studies show that that doesn't actually help in the long run. But the fruit and the leaves, do they support themselves? No, what, what do the fruit and leaves grow on? No, they don't grow on the roots. I've never seen a tree that had fruit and leaves on the roots. All right, they grow on the branches. That's right, they grow on the branches. And so the, the symptoms don't just produce themselves. The symptoms are there because of the branches, and the branches represent our behaviors, right, our actions, the things that we do. Um, and those actions can be actually quite more simple than we usually think of. There are actions of eating and drinking and breathing and so on and so forth, uh, various different things that uh, we participate in in order to then help with the fruit and the leaves. Now, if you have good behaviors or good actions, is that going to support good fruit? Yes. And if the behaviors or the actions are not good, then is it going to support good fruit? No, right? It's not. And so the behaviors need to be well so that the symptoms can be well. Now, if you have a tree that has diseased leaves and diseased fruit, 
Not all the leaves, maybe it's a patch of it. And, and you have that problem there. Does it fix the problem to just pluck off the fruit and the leaves? No, because the problem is deeper than that. Does it fix the problem to prune the branches? It doesn't fix it either. Now, it helps, right? It helps to prune because it decreases the disease burden, but it doesn't actually fix the problem because the problem itself is not in the branches yet. Uh, The branches are attached to what? The trunk, right? And the trunk represents our needs. You need what you need because you are what you are. Right? We need oxygen, we need water, we need food. These are various different things that we need. And can you change what you need? No. Can you all of a sudden one day say, well, you know what? I don't need oxygen anymore. You can say it, but can you take away the need? No, you can't change what you need because it's intrinsic in what you are. So what you are determines what you need, and and we need oxygen because we're an animal, but the plants need carbon dioxide because they're plants, just like we need oxygen, but it's a different need because it is a different thing. And so based upon what we are, our needs are there, but why do we have the actions or the behaviors? We have the actions or the behaviors to supply the need. Right? We have the actions or the behaviors to supply the need. Why do we have eating? Because we need food. Why do we have drinking? Because we need water. Why do we have breathing? Because we need oxygen. Right? All of the behaviors are there to support the need. You can't change what you need, but you can change how you behave. And if your behavior matches with what you need... Will that support good fruit and good leaves? Yeah. But if your behavior or your actions don't match with what you need, is that going to support good fruit and good leaves? No. So the behaviors or the actions need to be matched up with what the, what the needs are so that we can then properly have uh, good fruit and good leaves, good symptoms. And you can't change what you need, but you can change how you behave. Does the trunk support itself? No, what supports the trunk? The roots, right? Now we're getting below the ground. This is all obvious stuff. These are things that you can observe very well. But now when we get down below the ground, you've got to dig a little bit to figure out what's going on. Um, And the, the roots represent our beliefs, right? You do what you do because you believe what you believe. Now, looking at an individual, you don't necessarily know what they believe, but you can see what they do, right? And, and we don't necessarily understand ourselves what we believe, but we can see ourselves what we do, <laughs> right? Um, anybody here has ever done something you knew you shouldn't? Yeah? Sure. All right, my hand's up, okay. Um, anybody here ever didn't do what you know you should have? Yeah, me too. When it comes to health, let me ask you this. In your own personal health habits, do you, is there anybody here that knows how to do better than what you actually do? Yeah. So there's a gap between what we know and what we do, right? There's a gap between knowledge and actually accomplishing the thing. 
where does that gap come from? And how do we close the gap? Because it's vitally important for us to close the gap. There's a quote that we have uh, been given, and it says that if everyone, if we just did what we knew to do, from a health standpoint, if we just did what we knew to do, nine-tenths of diseases would go away. That's incredible, right? Hmm. So what we believe is really important, but sometimes we don't understand what we believe because our belief does not translate into behavior. Or what we think we believe doesn't translate into behavior. But you know what? Belief always translates into behavior. Right? Belief always translates into behavior. And so when we, when we analyze the behavior, we can then begin to understand what the belief is even though we think we believe something else, right? <clears throat> so uh, do the beliefs, uh, do the roots support themselves? No. Yeah, what supports the roots? It's, it's the soil, that's right. When a tree or a plant has a problem, is the problem necessarily in the plant? Well, from a plant standpoint, most of the time the problem's in the soil, right? It's in the sources that the plant is taking from because the source is deficient in what the plant needs. Now, a plant is an immobile entity, and so it can't go looking for other sources and, and so on, but you and I are humans, we are mobile, we can, and we can go plant our little roots in this soil, and then that's not working so well. We can go plant our little roots in that soil, and that's not working so well. We can go try this, and so on and so forth. And we can sample different, different soils. Now, are sources important? Sure, sources are important. Let's say, for instance, uh, you have the Flint syndrome. Uh, Flint, Michigan, well, a number of years ago, uh, an astute pediatrician in Flint, Michigan, noticed that many of her patients and her patients' parents were getting sick. And it all started around a certain time, and she was trying to figure out what was going on. Well, she continued investigating and finally found out that Flint, Michigan, changed the water source. And they started taking water out of the Flint River. Well, back in the day, the Flint River used to glow green at night, right? Because of all of the pollution and everything that was dumped in there with, with uh, Ford and, and all the other manufacturing that was going on around there. And, and so it wasn't a very good source. And so people were, were drinking. They had the behavior. They were drinking water. They believed that they needed water. But it was bad water. Right? It was polluted water, and because it was a bad source, then they had bad fruit and bad leaves. They had bad symptoms and, and so on that was happening with that. So you, in order for you to really have health, to have those good symptoms, you have to have a good source. You have to believe relative to your needs so that you behave according to your needs so that you can supply what you need and as you do so, that will support healthy fruit and healthy leaves, right? So you see, you've got to have all of these different aspects together. Well, do we just need oxygen, water, and food? Is there anybody here that needs love? 
Ah, oh, okay, so, so love is a need as well. Let's just take a minute to consider needs. You need something because of what you are, right? What you need is determined based upon what you are. But where do you find the thing you need? Inside or outside? Outside. Outside. You, you always find what you need outside because it must be brought in, right? It must be brought in. So you need food. Where are you going to find the food? Outside of yourself. And there must be an individual action or behavior that brings in what you need, right? So you need to eat in order to bring it in. You need oxygen. The oxygen that you need resides where? Outside or inside? Outside. And so you have to have an individual action to bring in what you need. And so you must breathe in order to bring in that oxygen that you need. All right? Now, how many here do not need love? All right, good. We're still 100%. All right? After thousands of people that I've talked to, we're still 100%. All right? So everybody needs love. If you need love, you need love because of what you are. Right? Can you change that need? No, you can't change that need just like you can't change the need for oxygen. You can think that you change the need. Uh, you could think that you don't need oxygen anymore. You're going to find out really quickly it gets really uncomfortable. You could think that you don't need love. Well, try it out. See how well it goes for you. It won't go very well. But love is a need and if we, just like oxygen, water, and food, where are you going to find the thing you need? Inside or outside? Outside, outside. outside, right? So it has to be outside, and there has to be an action to bring it in. There has to be an action or behavior to bring it in. What is the action or the behavior that brings in love? It's actually much more simple. We don't think of it so often but it's thinking right it's thought that brings in the love love is love is a spiritual information and it's through thought it's through thinking that it's brought in right well belief is a part of thought or thinking right and we're going to talk more specifically in a in in as we go on, about how one brings that in, right? About how one uh, acquires that love from outside of oneself and brings it in. Mm, how long would you live without eating? Yeah, you know, I mean, Jesus went 40 days and Moses went 40 days twice. Of course, he was... Mm, you know, miraculously sustained in that situation. I've heard of individuals that made it, you know, 70-some days or so before they passed away from, uh, from going on a hunger strike and not eating. Uh, so we, you, you can last, yeah, you know, over 40 days or so. How long can you go without water? Six, three days. 
All right, so most people are not going to do very well after three days. My grandmother, in the last uh, of of the last days of her life, she got to the point where she wasn't drinking anymore, and I think it was about a week. It was around a week to eight days or so where she finally passed away after the last sip that she had. Um, but that's very low activity, and you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, what about oxygen? How long are you going to last without oxygen? Yeah, about four minutes before the, before the neurons begin to die, right? Now, you, you, the, not every cell in the body is going to die at the same rate. Long after your brain is dead, your toes are still alive. Hours later, right? Eventually, all the cells are going to die based upon how quickly they're using up that resource and the resource is gone and they can no longer continue their function. How long can you live without thinking, Turn off electrical activity in the brain? Right? If you could get a switch and you just turn off the electrical activity in the brain, you turn off thinking, how long will you be alive? Well, that's the definition of death. It's brain death, right? It's no more thinking, right? Now, somebody might say, well, in surgery, somebody's not thinking, and so on. No, it's not true. You're just not aware of what's going on, but there's thinking that's going on. You do an EEG, and you can see all the electrical activity that's going on in the, in the, in the brain while somebody's under surgery. They're just not consciously aware of, uh, of that, but it's still thinking. So what's the greater need, oxygen or love? Love. Love. Love's the greater need, Right? And, and if there is a need for love, then there means that there has to be a source for love. And, and we could go to bad sources, or we could go to good sources. And depending on the source that we plant our little roots in, will depend upon the outcomes that we have because of that. Hmm. So everything that functions, functions by law. There are laws that govern everything that functions. Again, um, we have you know, laws like gravity, and I can jump over here, and it's going to work on this side, and if I run over here, then it's going to work on this side too. Um, not yet have I jumped and, and, and fallen up. Right? I've always jumped and fallen down because the law of gravity is always functional. It's always doing its job. And even if I was on the moon, the, the law of gravity would still be functioning. I would just be one-sixth the weight that I am now. And when I jumped, I would land a little bit softer. But the law is still working. <clears throat> we have laws that govern the function of our bodies too, like the law of blood sodium level. Your salt levels in your blood should be between 135 and 145 milliequivalents per deciliter, and the law is what the law is. It doesn't matter uh, how tall you are, how short you are, how wide you are, how narrow you are. Uh, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you are a human being, a homo sapien, then your blood levels of sodium should be between these levels, and you, and you, you function maximally in this level, but as you, your sodium levels start dropping or they start going up, you start having progressive dysfunction because you get outside of the, the law, right? And, and you have blood pH around 7.35 to 7.45. Now, what if you have this idea, this thought <clears throat> that um, 
that it's good to be alkaline. So you get into an alkaline diet and you drink alkaline water and you take sodium bicarbonate so that it can alkalinize you even more and, and, and you just alkalinize, alkalinize, alkalinize. And you actually succeed at increasing your blood pH and it goes from 7.45 to 7.5 to 7.55 to 7.6. Are you going to be healthier? No, absolutely not because now you are going outside of the law that governs your blood pH. And as you do so, you will have progressive dysfunction even though you think that you'll be getting greater health by doing so. Because the law doesn't care what you think. The law is what the law is. And so it behooves us to understand what the laws are that govern the function of our being so that we can intelligently cooperate with them because if we're ignorant, we're likely to go somewhere else. And, and uh, unknowingly run into issues with that. Blood, uh, body temperature as well, 98.6 or 37 degrees Celsius. And let's say that one of the children had been watching you know, a movie and uh, they, it's, it's a movie about a frozen individual and, and, uh, and they get this idea that, oh, that would be really cool to, to live like that. And so they try to get a body temperature of negative 30 degrees. Well, they can try, and if they succeed, they die in the process. Why? Because they violate the law, even though they don't know that there's a law that they're, that's there that they're violating. So let's, let's go driving. We're going to go driving down the road, and this is the roadway of health. And as with every proverbial road, there's a ditch on one side, there's a ditch on the other. Right, um, and uh, and we can run into problems on this roadway. We have things that we need. We need oxygen. We need water. We need food. We need warmth. Right? You need a certain body temperature in order for you to function. Cells do not function out of well out of that body temperature. Right, and uh, let's say that there is a deviation. One day your temperature goes up. Right? And it goes up outside of the confines of that law that governs the function of your body temperature. And uh, it does so. How do you feel? All right, so you feel bad. It's not a good feeling. It's a not good feeling. And you have symptoms. You have bad symptoms. Why are the symptoms there? Ah, it's to let you know that you're not on the road anymore, right? It's like the rumble strips on the side of the road that wake you up when you fall asleep. Uh, yeah, I remember waking up on the rumble strips. Right, praise the Lord! I didn't wake up in the you know and whatever. I remember waking up on the rumble strips after being on my trauma surgery rotation and being up for thirty six plus hours and and whatever. And um, you know it was yeah, and, and it was only a fifteen minute drive down the highway to get get back home, and and it was probably two minutes on the highway, and I fell asleep. And woke up on the rumble strips. Praise God for rumble strips. Right? I thank him for that. Right? So, yeah, the symptoms are like the rumble strips. To let you know something's going wrong. So that you can do something about it. Right? You start feeling feverish. You feel hot. So maybe you, re- you, 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 you drink water. Maybe you turn on the air conditioning. You get out of the sun. You do something so that you can cool down and get back in the confines of the law that governs the function of your being. And when you do so, it's comfortable. Right? It, it finally feels good again. 
and, and things function well. So on the road, it's usually comfortable. Uh, things function well, and that's where you have health. And as you deviate, well, things go wrong. It can deviate in the opposite direction, too. Your temperature can go down, and you can have symptoms as well. And are they the same symptoms? No, they are they're different, right? When you deviate from the law one way, it feels different than when you deviate from the law the other way. What would happen if when your temperature went up, you felt hot, and when your temperature went down, you felt hot? Yeah, that would not be good. Because you go up into upper, you know, the upper peninsula of Michigan during the wintertime, and it's you know, like negative 5 or negative 10 degrees or something like that, and, and you start feeling hot. Right? Oh, and, and you feel hot and you start sweating so that you can, you can, uh, you can lose more, more heat through that perspiration. You start removing layering of clothes and all of that kind of stuff because you're feeling hot and whatever. Well, you'd die right away. By God's grace, it hurts differently when you deviate from the law one way as when you deviate from the law the other way. Why? It's by design. Because... In so doing, you know which way to go to get back, right? You know which way to go to get back. You know when you get cold, you've got to put on more layering of clothing and that kind of stuff. You've got to warm up, you shiver, you do other things like that in order to get your body temperature back up so that you're now within the confines of the law that governs the function of your body temperature. Now, what if you don't stop at symptoms? What if you keep going? What if you don't just stop at feeling hot. Well, you eventually get to disease. You get to real dysfunction. Maybe it's heat exhaustion. Maybe it's heat stroke. Uh, you get to that point where you're just feeling absolutely nauseous and, and your head's just bursting and it's pounding and, and, and you're, you're, you're just, you're, your mind is, is foggy and, and you can't think straight and maybe you're vomiting and so on with it. It's just miserable. It's really bad. Right? The farther you go, the worse it gets because now it's really imperative that you do something about it. What do you have to do? Many times you have to ask for help. Right? You have to ask for or accept help. Uh, right around here we have the military base. And in the south, when the humidity is high and the recruits are out and they're doing their, their drills and everything with all their fatigues and their packs and everything like that, and they're, they're marching for 10, 15 miles or something like that, sometimes uh, that soldier was not drinking water like he was supposed to be, and you see him drop out. Boom. All right? And, and then the, 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 the medics come along, and they, they check him out really quickly, find out his temperature is 110. Mm, yeah, and I, I had a colleague that, that that's what he took care of, and, and they had a treatment protocol. They, they rush him right into the center. They throw him in. Well, they, do a, they put in a, a rectal thermometer so that they can measure their core temperature and strip them down and, uh, and put them in an ice tub, and run two IVs with iced uh, saline in them and get that temperature down as quickly as they can. And once they get to a certain level, they'll pull the IVs out and pull them out of the ice and so on and so forth. Um, you got to get help. Now, there's this, there's this line there 
uh, called the pride line. It's the pride line. Uh, Eventually, the symptoms get to a point where you get past your pride and you're willing to accept some help. Now, I'll tell you by personal experience, the pride line for women is closer to the road. And the pride line for men is... Yeah, it's, it's, it's way off there, right? And sometimes the pride line for men is past the point of death. They will not go to the doctor for the life of them, right? Um, because there, no way are they going to submit themselves to uh, that unjust treatment of prostate exams and other things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, things that men fear. Um, so there's this, there's that line, and it's on both sides too. You can drop down below symptoms with your temperature going low, and you can have chill blains or frostbite or other things like that. It's very painful, very uncomfortable, very dangerous. And you've got to do something right now to get back into the confines of the law that governs the function of your being. Now, I, I just want to touch on this, this issue of symptom care in the context of the roadway because it, it helps us to understand a few things. Again, let's go back to that symptom of pain. Let's say that you, go off the, you veer off of the pathway either to the right or to the left and you have more and more pain when you get away from the road. That's by design so that we have more and more motivation to get back. But then you go to your, your, your physician or your nurse practitioner or so on, and, and they prescribe for you pain medication. And so you take the pain medication, and, oh, well, it doesn't hurt so much. What just now happens to your motivation to find the cause or to get back into the confines of the law that governs that function of your being? Well, depending on the strength of the medication will depend on the, the, the motivation that it removes, right? The motivation that it removes. Now, again, I am not saying that pain medication is bad and that one should not take it. But when one does so in a chronic nature, right, over, over a prolonged period of time, then it takes away some of that motivation to actually look for the cause and to actually fix it. And then when you go for more and for more and for more, well, it seems to us, it's not real, but it seems to us that the edge of the road widens, right? Because it can still feel comfortable in this area because the pain medication is, is, is keeping you from feeling it, right? And so you can be outside the confines of the law, but thinking that you're inside of the confines because we're just doing symptom care, right? There's some dangers there. Again, I'm not saying that it's it's wrong in all situations. And, you know, I've got surgery. Give me medication. Wake up from the surgery. I'll be happy for some too, right? Um, and, And so on. Get in a car accident. Don't take me to UG Pines. Take me to the hospital, and and so on. But it needs to be within the proper context. And and for many individuals around this world, it's outside of its proper context. And it has problems with it. Now, if we don't stop at disease and just symptoms, where are we going to end up? Yeah, we're going to end up with death on either side, right? We eventually, and, and somewhere out here between disease and death, there's this line, and it's called the point of no return. From a physical standpoint, you're still alive, but you're not getting back. 
Now, for God, there's no point of no return, right? Obviously, Lazarus was already past the, the last line over there for a few days. And, and, and Jesus was able to bring him back. So from God's standpoint, there is no such thing as a point of no return. But from a, a, a physical progression of cause and effect and so on, there is. And it's somewhere out there, and I don't know where it is in individuals. Now, if your oxygen, your water, and your food is well taken care of, and all that's going on is your body temperature is getting messed up, are you going to be able to go farther without, going, get, without dying? Yes. Yeah. You're going to be able to tolerate that deviation much better if the other things that you need are taken care of. But if you're dehydrated, you're poorly oxygenated, uh, you're, you're, you're malnourished, and your temperature deviates, then that line to death gets closer and closer to the roadway as you have multiple things that are not working, right? So, so they, they work together, right? We're just picking on one to show the example of the whole deviations. Now, we already mentioned that there's something else that we need. What do we need? Love, that's right. We need love. Is it possible that love functions like oxygen and water and food and temperature and so on and so forth, that there's a law that governs the function of love, and as we deviate from that law, there can be symptoms, disease, and death associated with it. But as we remain within the confines of that law, there's proper function. It's comfortable. Things work well, and we can have health. Maybe? Yeah, maybe so. So, I would propose to you that health is proper function because the law is followed, and disease is dysfunction because the law is broken. Whether one knows the law or not, if it's followed, there are positive consequences to it, and if it's broken, there are negative consequences associated with it, right? It's not being legalistic, it's just saying how things are, right? But when we think of this thing about violating law, what word comes to mind? Ah, there you go. Sin. We are told that sin is breaking the law. And uh, John tells us that in 1 John 3 and verse 4. He says, for sin is the transgression of the law. And John was talking about what law in particular? Yeah, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And, And so that was God's law. And what's the foundation of God's law? That's his character, and, his, and, he's, and we're told that God is love. That's right. So the foundation of God's law is love. Jesus put it this way, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So there is a law that governs the function of love, right? And it's God's law. It's God's moral law. And so disease, in many cases, is the result of a love problem, right? I would propose that to you, that disease, in many cases, is the result of a love problem, Now, when we consider this and we consider the roadway, we need to consider another law, and that is a foundational one called the law of cause and effect, right? 
And we understand this. We've all been there. We know what cause and effect is. Which comes first, the cause or the effect? All right, the cause always comes first, right? And what follows after? The effect. So if there's an effect, then what has to be there by definition? The cause, right? So if you have an effect, whatever it, be, whatever it is, there has to be a cause, right? And the cause, if it's present, then what is it going to produce? An effect. So if you have a cause that's there, it will produce an effect. And if you have an effect, there is a cause that's there. And the cause always, it's a temporal association. The cause comes first and the effect follows afterwards. And if the effect is present, then we know that its cause or the secondary causes are still present. Well, what do I mean by secondary causes? Well, let's say um, you were playing around with your gun one day, like uh, one gentleman that I took care of, and, uh, and uh, you accidentally pulled the trigger. Well, cause, <laughs> right? Uh, some muscular action caused by a thought, right? Uh, led to pulling of a trigger. Trigger called, caused the hammer to go, boom. Hammer led to a spark. Spark led to the igniting of some gunpowder sitting behind a bullet. Bullet was there in the gun. Bullet comes out at high speed and goes right through his leg, right? And unfortunately, right through a nerve that supplies his ability to raise his foot. And so that nerve now is transected by a fast uh, speeding bullet and uh, he's no longer, he's not able to raise his foot. Now, if there was the proper healing process in place after the trauma, he could potentially get that function back as the neuron grows, the axons uh, you know, are, are, are able with, again, in a proper context, uh, are able to then reestablish connection down with the foot and a little bit of learning process along with that. But if the healing process goes poorly and instead of a track that is made to, for those axons to grow down, it's replaced by scar tissue, guess what? Yeah, it's not going to happen, Right? It's not going to happen. And he will permanently have a loss of that function of the foot. Now, the bullet, which was the cause initially, is not there, but the scar tissue and the poor healing and so on is now the secondary cause that's in place. And as long as that's there, he's still not going to have that function. If you could go in and remove the scar tissue and, uh, and initiate now new growth of the neuron, you could potentially get that function back. We don't have that technology yet that I'm aware of. But again, just highlighting cause and effect. And if the cause is removed, then the effect begins to go away. Now, the cause doesn't always... The, sorry, I should say the, the effect doesn't always manifest itself right away. It may take time, and we're going to talk about that in a second. May take time for it to manifest, and so if the cause is removed, it may take time for the effect to go away. But it will. And that's why I'm interested in causes, because if we can identify and remove the cause, then we know that whatever the cause is producing, the effects must go away. Right? Must go away. 
Why is cause and effect the way that it is? Well, another way that we can understand it is simply by understanding the laws of thermodynamics. We're told that all energy necessary for a system to function must come from outside that system, just like everything you need must come from outside, right? So the energy, too, for it to function must come from outside. And because that's the case, the system itself cannot produce the effect, the power necessary had to come from outside of that. And you can't create a perpetual motion machine because in order for it to continue its function, it must get power from somewhere else. Now, you might Google it and say, well, there's thousands of perpetual motion machines. Oh, yeah? Well, they're dependent upon sunlight or they're dependent upon Earth's gravitational force or other things like that that they function by. There are no true perpetual motion machines because every system must get its energy from where? outside, right? It can't produce its own energy. So the effect cannot create itself. The cause must be sought for where? Inside or outside? Outside. The cause can never be found inside because the power necessary had to come from outside. So if you have, let's say for instance, you have somebody that has cancer. Let's say it's a breast cancer. Very common. Um, and you want to understand why you have the breast cancer, where can you look and guarantee you can never answer that question? Inside the tumor itself. Because the tumor itself can never tell you why. Because the cause had to come from where? Outside. Now, the tumor can tell you what? So a biopsy will never tell you why you have the cancer. Biopsy will only tell you what you have. You have to go looking somewhere else if you want to know the why. Right? Now, let's look at the cells. We're down to our last 15 minutes. So let's run through the cells. You and I, we've got, I don't know, 50 to 100 trillion cells in our body over 250 different types of cells, and each different type of cell has its own function. And the cells are kind of like little factories. And of course, factories produce a product. And, and, and the cells, if they're going to be a factory producing a product, they must have then a few things. They need raw materials. You've got to have raw materials to work with because a factory never creates anything. It only rearranges Right? It must have material that it works with in order to then rearrange it into a material of a different uh, arrangement. Right? We, we call it creation, but it's actually just a transformation of, of what's already there. And the raw materials that the cells need are things like oxygen and water and food. It's the chemicals, right? The chemicals are the, the, the raw materials that the cells need. And if they take in chemicals, then what are they going to put out? chemicals as well. So they have hormones and autocrines and paracrines and cell signaling molecules and they've got interleukins and, and tumor necrosis factor alpha and all these different things that they produce, but those are all chemicals because they're chemical factories, the cells are. But how, how many cells of your body need oxygen? All of them do, uh, even your toes. But where does the oxygen come in through? Through your nose and your mouth. So how are you going to get it to your toes? All right, so you have to have a transport mechanism in order to get it there. And the transport medium is the blood. 
And the mechanism is the cardiovascular system and the pumping of the heart and so on, so that you can get it then to every part of the body so that the body can function the way that it needs to function so the cells can stay alive. Every cell needs oxygen. Every cell needs water. Every cell needs food. You've got to be able to get this stuff to every cell. So circulation is vitally important when it comes to health. Because if you block the circulation to an area, guess what? It dies. Because it must have the raw materials that it needs in order to survive. If the circulation is not blocked completely but partially, well, you're going to have a partial dysfunction of those cells in the area. And many things that we don't attribute to circulation are actually attributed to circulation, actually, uh, or caused by poor circulation. For example, people don't usually think that their back problem and their sciatica is related to circulation at all. Because it was when I bent over and lifted that heavy 50-pound bucket that my back went, and oh. And now, you know, you got sciatica and now all that pain and everything. But what we know from the research is that we can see what was happening with the disc long before it ever went boop. And what was happening long before it ever went boop. Well, if you do MRI, they tell you that the disc was desiccated. What does desiccated mean? It's dehydrated. The tire's going flat. Right? The tire was going flat long before it ever popped. Why was it going flat? Well, you have small little arteries that come off of the aorta at every level, every vertebral level. You have small little arteries that come off, and they supply each of the discs. And the discs that are desiccated, when you do a magnetic resonance angiogram and you actually look at those very closely, you find that they have cardiovascular disease in them. They're little blockages. And so for a long time you've had blockages, that disc is getting desiccated, the tire's going flat, and now when you bend over and you pick that heavy thing up and you go, and you put extra stress on the tire, it goes, and you thought it was just the stress. But no, it's related to circulation, right? So circulation's vitally important when it comes to health. But if you have the raw materials, the cells still can't do anything yet because they're missing something vitally important. They must have energy. They must have that power. And, and the cells function uh, basically as little electrical units. Uh, it's quite interesting. You know, you get a voltmeter and you can put a little one on the inside of the cell, one on the outside of the cell, and the inside is about negative 70 to 90 millivolts compared to the outside. You have all of this structure that's in place in order to keep that voltage difference. And, and, and if you have movement of those charged particles inside and outside of the cell, it's called current, and the, the membrane provides resistance against that. This is all electrical language. Cells are like little batteries, and, and, and their function is really predominantly an electrical function. Now, chemistry is involved in it as well. But, but, but they, how many cells do you need coordinated? All of them, right. You need to coordinate all the cells. What if, what if your liver had the capacity to decide just to go full bore? Like maximum capacity, every cell of the, of the liver go maximum capacity for the next hour. What would happen? You'd die. You'd actually die. Because the metabolic activity of that cellular function would be so high, the temperature in the liver would go up so high, your proteins would begin to denature, and the oxygen demand would be greater than what you could supply to the liver, and the nutrient demand would be so much greater. You would cause necrosis in the cells and so on. You'd die. 
You can't do that. All of the cells must be coordinated in their function in order for you to survive as an organism. Now, what is in, is in control of the function of the cells? What's the controller mechanism? It's the nervous system. Right? It's the nervous system. The nervous system is what controls the function of all the different cells of the body and how they function. Every regulatory mechanism that provides homeostasis or normal balanced function of the different organs and systems and blood pressure and heart rate and, and breathing and all that kind of stuff, it's all regulated through the central nervous system. All of it. We are told that the influence of the mind on the body as well as the body on the mind should be emphasized. The electric power of the brain promoted by mental activity vitalizes the whole system and is thus an invaluable aid in resisting disease. The electrical activity of the brain has to some degree an empowerment factor to the cells of powering them in their function, but also controlling their function as well. Now, how is the brain going to control the function of the cells? You have to have a pathway. What's the pathway? It's the nerves. That's right. It's your peripheral nervous system. It's the nerves that are carrying it to how many cells of the body? All of them, as close as they can get, right? Um, and so in anatomy, we have this thing called neurovascular bundles. Where the, ner- where, the, where the blood vessels go, the nerves go too. Because every cell needs the pipes to carry the raw materials, and every cell needs the power and the control for their function. So they all run together. We're told also the mind controls the whole man. Yet many spend all their lives without becoming intelligent in regard to the casket or the body that contains this treasure. All the physical organs are the servants of the mind and the nerves are the messengers that transmit its orders to every part of the body, guiding the motions of the living machinery. Oh, amazing physiology that we were given well over 100 years ago. Right? That was 1897. So... Where does the energy come from that the nervous system gets in order to then control and power the other cells? Right? Because all energy necessary for a system to function must come from where? Outside. Outside of that system. So where does the nervous system get the power from that it gives to the rest of the cells? Ah, that's the chemistry. It's the thoughts. Right? It's the thoughts. You see, neuroscience, um, they've drawn some conclusions based upon some false premises. One of the false premises is that the physical creates the spiritual. Right? That's a, that's a false premise in science today, that the physical creates the spiritual. And so the physical brain with the physical electrical activity creates the spiritual thing called thought, right? And everything that is spiritual about an individual can be explained by that which is physical. That's what science will tell us, right? Um, But let me ask you, we uh, we have a divine textbook, right? It's called the Bible, and, and, and the Bible tells us that what came first, the spiritual or the physical? Physical. 
the spiritual. Because in the beginning was God, right? In the beginning was God. And he spoke and the physical came to, to be, into existence. And we were created in the image of God, in the image of him, of him he created them, male and female, he created them. And, and so we too function like that as well. It is not the electrical activity in the structure of the brain that generates thought. It is thought when it strikes the physical structure of the brain that generates the electrical activity that we can now measure and we can interact with and so on and so forth. We just don't have scientific equipment that can measure thought. We can just measure the electricity, the physical effect of thought. Now, if thought is going to be brought in, just like oxygen, you must have an organ or an organ system to bring it in, so we have a respiratory system. Uh, just like water and food, you must have an organ or organ system to bring it in, and so we have the digestive system. What is the organ or the organ system that brings in thought? Is thought physical or is it not physical? It's spiritual, right? It has physical effects, and if it did not have the physical structure of the brain, it wouldn't do any good, right? But it's spiritual. And so in order to have an organ or an organ system that can bring something that is not physical but is spiritual in, then you must have an organ or an organ system that itself is not physical but is spiritual. So it's the spirit, Right? It's the spirit of man through which thought is brought in to the physical structure of the brain that produces the electrical activity that is then transmitted down the nerves to the, all the cells of the body in order to empower and to control their function. Right? Now, we are created in the image of God and we are created to think like God thinks. And if we think like God thinks, do you think that whole process will end up with good control and good power and good function? Yeah. But if our thinking deviates from God's thinking, what do you think will happen in the, in the cascade of events here? Oh, you might actually end up with physical dysfunction because the origin is bad, Right? We're told that the brain nerves that connect with the whole system are the medium through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. So, so there's this communion, this, this, this communication pathway that's there. And we were created with a need for love. We were created in the image of a God of love. And when the basis of the thinking is love, then that coming through the spirit via the thoughts uh, to the nervous system will produce the correct energy, the correct control through the central nervous system of all of the functions of the body in order for it to function appropriately. Now, that doesn't mean that you can, having good thoughts, prevent dysfunction from a bullet running through your heart, right? There's still other factors that are here, but we're just establishing this particular factor when it comes to health. And so we have our body. That's all the stuff that you can interact with and measure and so on. You have the spirit, and then the combination of those two come together to form the soul. 
And again, we're told this in Genesis 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so God took dust and breath and made a living being. In other words, he took a body and a spirit and he made a soul. And a big part of that is the mind. And the mind is highly important in us. And so here we can see a pathway by which one's thoughts, based on love or not based on love, can lead to dysfunction or proper function in the body because of this pathway through the nervous system and its impact upon the control of the function of the various different cells of the body. I don't have time right now to tell you about the research because we need to take a break. But I'll just say this briefly. The, the current research shows us that it, when it comes to cancer, every step, way, step in the cancer process, all the way from its initiation all the way to metastasis and, and, and growth in other tissue locations, every step it has been shown in the research has, has impact by the nervous system. Meaning the nervous system can help control the different steps and can either speed up or slow down the process of that cancer growth and its development and so on. And it's not just cancer. That's just where a lot of the research is at currently. There are other things as well. And so what one thinks has a profound impact upon one's, one's body and one's function, much more so than we've been aware of. Now... Do you have good love? Or do you have bad love? Or do you know? Because if you don't know, you might think you've got the good stuff and you've got the bad stuff. And in thinking that you've got the good stuff, you're suffering physically because of the bad stuff, but just deceived thinking you've got the good stuff. So if you want to know whether you've got the good stuff or not, come back tomorrow. We're going to continue on and look at that more deeply. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings and your goodness to us. Thank you that you've created us so logically but so wonderfully amazing. It's a, the detail is just so great that uh, I don't know that we will ever fully wrap our minds around it. But Lord, we thank you for creating us in your image. And Lord, as we consider uh, our thoughts and their impact upon our physical health and spiritual health as well, as we consider our need for love and our need for these other things and our desire for health, healing, and happiness, Lord, we ask for you to be our teacher and to draw us close to you and to teach us a better way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.